You're listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Day and Harini, for those that haven't come across you online, introduce yourself and tell our listeners what we're talking about today. My name is Harini Vipathi. I'm an associate at the law firm of Fryer and Levitt. I'm in what we considered to be our PBM practice group. My name is Day Lee. I'm on OD, one of the pharmacist attorney at Fryer and Levitt. I'm in the same PBM department as Harini. Today, we're going to discuss PBM's ongoing audit efforts against pharmacies, as well as the uh, abusive practices against pharmacies and the recent action taken by the states, including state laws that have been enacted to give uh, another layer of protection for the pharmacies. You said the word against. And when I think of like an IRS audit or something like that, I haven't had one and thankfully I don't plan on getting one. But when I hear like, if I said that the IRS was going to audit me, my mind would not say the IRS is coming against me. And I think that just shows right off the bat that the PBMs are against us. Yeah, 100%. PBMs, although they purport to maintain a network of independent pharmacies for their plan sponsors, you know, they do have contractual obligation for the plan sponsor to audit the pharmacies. The purpose of the audit is to monitor the pharmacy's um, performance as well as to uh, reduce any errors or reduce the uh, wasteful prescription fillings. However, audits for PBMs have been a source of revenue. So that's why I characterize it as uh, PBMs auditing against the pharmacies instead of trying to serve the main purpose, which is find errors or uh, inadvertent errors uh, or to reduce the total drug spending of their plant sponsor. The thing that gets me too is these are public companies and it's a very mature market. It's not like they're going to go out and just gain a bunch of market share. And so when you look at a public company, they've got to raise their profit every year. And it seems like this is a way to do that. If you're not going to get a lot more lives, you you make money on the front end and back end however you can. And I'm sure this is a way they do it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree uh, with your um, comment. I mean, PBMs, there are top three PBMs that handle uh, or that process 80% of the Americans' prescriptions and prescription claims. And these three PBMs are in Fortune 500 list. And, you know, from 30,000 foot above, what they are doing is they're basically administering and managing, you know, prescription benefits. And it is quite hard to understand how their main function, which is managing and administering prescription claims, land them in the Fortune 500 company list. So if you look at you know, the underlying activities conducted by PBM, it is more geared towards to profit making because they all have shareholders and they do owe obligations to their shareholders to increase the profits, you know, unfortunately, at the expense of the pharmacies, at the expense of the um, patients and the taxpayers. Harini, you've been in this now for a few years. Are you jaded yet? It's hard to say. I guess I wouldn't say the word jaded. I do almost have 
personal feelings invested in the fights that pharmacies have now. Um, we just see so much going on when we deal with audits, when we deal with terminations. It's important not to just realize that they're, yes, businesses and pharmacies, but we're obviously dealing a lot with the pharmacy owners themselves. Um, so it takes a lot more of a, I don't know, I, I, I guess maybe a little bit jaded um, looking back at that. It's definitely frustrating to see the ongoing um, struggles that you see a lot of independent pharmacies face, especially when you go back to how much money PBMs make. Um, audits are bad, yes, they're a means of recovery, but looking at audits, you also have audit fees, and they're pretty arbitrary in many senses. Um, there used to be small audit fees associated with audits a, a couple years ago. Now you have some audit fees that account for about 20% of a pharmacy's total audit. Now you take a, a routine desktop audit of a pharmacy um, and you assess a 20% fee on that, that's it's it's a lot for any small pharmacy business. Wait a minute, the fee, the fee. Tell me about the fee. I'm I'm just not imagining that. I'm thinking penalty. What does fee mean? Sure. So you'll have some major PBMs who audit pharmacies, subject pharmacies to those um, full recoveries of the claims that they submitted. Sure, that's because of the alleged discrepancies that they've made and you know submitting the claims over to the PBM. But the problem is, is that you also have a percentage taken on top of that. So you might have, say, an audit fee of about 100000 uh, But then you have, might have a PBM who assesses a 20% audit fee on top of that 100000 So that amounts to what, 120000 in total for the, for the pharmacy to have to pay back. So not only are they paying the total amount of the claim reimbursement that they receive, they're also paying this fee back over to the PBM. And... According to PBMs, it's the cost of what it takes to conduct an audit of the pharmacy. And I mean, basically, pharmacies are the ones fueling uh, the salaries of the auditors to some extent. And if not, you know, much more than that as well. Um, so, you know, the, the fee is, is really troubling. Uh, PBMs say it's the cost of an audit, but that's very doubtful. That 20%, they probably say that goes to the audit organization, or does that, they don't make any bones about saying that that's just going right to the PBM? They've just always said, we are assessing an audit fee for the cost of an audit. So I'm sure it goes over to the PBM versus the audit department, but we don't have that insight because a PBM is not transparent about those types of audit fees. It would be also interesting to see if, that PBM also charges the plan or plan sponsor who is footing the bill for the patient's claims for conducting the same audit. So a PBM could be, you know, double dipping, getting the audit fee from the pharmacy, getting the, the same audit fee from the plan sponsor. Typically, are those audit teams, are they actually employees of the PBMs or do the PBMs use a like an outside firm of some sort? You'll have a combination. Uh, you'll have most PBMs will have their own audit team to conduct audits of pharmacies, but you'll also have the same PBMs contract out a number of audits to third party groups. And those third party groups arguably would be much more financially incentivized to find discrepancies during those audits. The third parties would have a more of incentive because they need to get paid on top of that. That's their revenue source versus a PBM, which is already getting 
revenue, arguably. Yeah. Um, you could have a third party auditing group who might be contracted on a percentage basis as well. You know, we don't have insight into what those contracts look like with those third party agencies. You guys probably never get the pleasure of talking to an auditor themselves, right? We get to have some connections with auditors, uh, some limited interactions, but being legal counsel, we do also converse primarily with legal counsel of the major PBMs. Hmm. We know that the PBMs are always trying to increase their profit. What are the new tricks they have? And I'm going to call them tricks and scams. What are the new tricks and scams they have? Have they been creative over the last year? Yep. We have this new requirement that a major PBM put out there that pharmacies who plan to make bulk purchases of medications now have to ask permission to make those bulk purchases for those drug products from the PBM. And it's not a situation right now, as we're aware of, where you just email the PBM and say, hey, PBM, I'm going to make this bulk purchase. You have to physically mail a request over to the PBM and the PBM has to physically mail back, presumably, or fax, we're not sure yet of how that's going to play out with their team, um, permission to the pharmacy saying, hey, pharmacy, all right, looks good. You know, you can go ahead and make this bulk purchase. And the reason that they're doing that is because you'll have inventory audits. And so a lot of PBMs restrict how far back, you know, they'll look at a pharmacy's inventory to account for the claims that they might have dispensed in a particular time period which makes absolutely no sense. Absolutely no sense. We got screwed on that by our state, whatever the PBM they use. And the person on my team doing this told me, this was a few years ago, the person on my team told me, well, we can only show the purchases in like, let's say December for the following year's audit. And I thought, of course, he was wrong. I'm like, well, no, we bought a ton of it back in March when it was lower priced, but they wouldn't take that. And needless to say, I was angered by that if I still let them get me angry. And I know I'm not supposed to let people get me angry. That's like a new psychological thing. And, you know, people's like, well, you're in control of your own feelings, <laughs> Mike. But I still say the PBMs are forcing me to be angry. That's a ridiculous thing. Yep. It used to be that, okay, fine, during the time of an audit, they'll go back about three months. Some PBM will only allow for a month. But this new bulk purchase notification requirement is just absolutely ridiculous. It goes against a standard pharmacy's practice. Like you said, a pharmacy is going to make purchases knowing that prices are going to go up or they're getting a good deal to be able to purchase medications in bulk. And as long as the medication's not expired, what's it to anyone, you know? Um, there's a lot of assumptions that PBMs will say that they're giving pharmacies by giving um, them like a certain month look back period. For example, uh, we're only auditing your claims for our PBM, uh, for our patients. We have to assume that you're dispensing medications to other patients of PBMs. And we're not looking at that. So that's why we think a month or three months is reasonable. But to add on another layer of, um, I guess, a requirement for pharmacies that they basically have to ask for permission, that I think is just a, is a bit too far. Let me get this straight. They're not really asking for permission because a pharmacy can buy anything, right? They're basically saying, 
you can buy it, but if you don't get permission ahead of time, it's not going to pass an audit. Would that be a fair statement? Yes, exactly. Right. So if a pharmacy gets audited and you're asking the PBM to consider, say, purchases from two months prior to the audit for this particular PBM, they're saying we won't consider it because you didn't get our permission to make this purchase to be considered in this audit we might make that we might have on your pharmacy. What is the standard? Is it a month without permission? It depends on the PBMs. Uh, you'll have some PBMs who have introduced this requirement, some that have not. Uh, but for the, this particular PBM, it's a month. That is so disgusting with that permission you have to have. I can't even take it. We have to go on to the next one now. Well, besides implementing new audit practices, PBMs also implement additional requirements for example, like copay, right? Historically, when PBMs ask for um, ask for a copay documents from pharmacies to demonstrate that the pharmacy did in fact collect the copays from the patient, historically pharmacies can you know provide uh, cash register receipts or uh, with a you know last four digits of um, uh, a credit card or check images receipt. You know, but nowadays they even go beyond and PBN started asking about uh, asking pharmacies to provide patient attestations on top of what, you know, what they have been requesting from the pharmacies. Keep in mind, the audits are happening on claims that have been filled a year or two years ago. And the pharmacy has to juggle through, you know, their day to day operation on top of, you know, uh, responding to the audits. And they have to now go back to the patient and ask for a uh, test station signed by the patient. So this is not a signature log that they got the medicine. This is another attestation that they paid for it. Yes. That's crazy. And patient may not even be a patient of the pharmacy anymore at that time. And how, like, who's going to respond to that? And if the pharmacy doesn't provide all the requested documents, then the PBMs will recoup the entire amount of the reimbursement paid on that claim. And the claim being filled a year or two years ago. And the pharmacy already dispensed that drug. What if the person died? The person dies, then you can't get an attestation and you have to explain that to the PBM. Unless they're cremated, I'd go and put a pen in their shriveled up gray hand in the grave and sign their name with it. And even then, sometimes when you do get attestations, if the auditor says that he can't confirm or authenticate an attestation with a patient, probably because he tried to call the patient and the patient didn't pick up, that's another reason for them to not accept it. Wait, the auditor contacts the patient? Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's not a friendly conversation that the PBM's auditor is having. The auditor calls up Mrs. Smith, who is 83 years old, and says, did you pay this pharmacy $20 18 months ago on October 3rd? Something like that. Yep. That's what they do? Yep. Yep. And Mrs. Smith might say, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Goodbye. Why would they even answer their phone? I mean, I don't answer my phone if I don't know who it is. Why would they not think it's a scam that someone's calling and asking that? And if they don't get a hold of them, then that goes against the pharmacy. Yep. 
Yeah. And not only for the copay, but you're saying the whole amount of the drug because they're saying that it was wrong. So we're not just going to recoup the 20 bucks. We're going to recoup the $500 cost of the drug. Yes. Exactly. That's insane. <laughs> and who knows where the money goes? Exactly. Is it going to be in the uh, PBN's pocket or is it going to be relayed back to the uh, plan sponsor? doesn't seem right that a third party can even get in there. And it's not even a letter to the patient's home. It's a phone call. We'll see a combination, depending on the auditor, depending on the PBM. We'll see communications being sent out to patients or prescribers, depending on the issue. Uh, or we'll see uh, follow-up calls as well. So it depends. And when they make this call, it's pretty aggressive, uh, especially if you have a PBM who says that they're conducting an investigation of a pharmacy versus an audit of a pharmacy. It, it the conversation becomes much more different when they use the word investigation or the words potential fraud, waste, and abuse. It becomes a very different conversation on the receiving end. Still walking across these hot coals. I can't spend too much time on these or I'll get damaged. What's another example? I know Dave loves uh, signature issues with COVID waivers. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, it's, you know... As you may know, PBMs, other government bodies have been issuing or have announced uh, waivers to, you know, encourage or to ensure that the patients have access to healthcare during the time of COVID pandemic, right? And a lot of PBMs, especially the top three or the major ones, have come out with a COVID uh, signature log waivers. So that was announced. Those waivers were announced, um, I believe, in sometime in 2020, maybe. Um, March, uh, April of 2020. And then a year or two years later, now we are seeing a lot of uh, PBM audit activities on claims that have been dispensed or filled and dispensed during the pandemic. And one of the documents that they're seeking is, of course, signature log, when they actually waive the, that um, signature log requirement. And when they only request the pharmacies to write, you know, COVID and then in lieu of the patient signature, because, you know, they, they, they allow the pharmacist to either deliver those medication without getting the patient signature um, or, you know, uh, giving it to the patient on a curbside. But now, you know, a year or two later, two years later, they're auditing those claims, you know, trying to penalize the pharmacy for not collecting signature logs when they're the one who actually waived those requirements. So that is another you know, prime example of PBM's abuse audit practices against pharmacies. I put nothing past them as far as doing that. It's not like that's an error on their part. They can basically do what they want. And who's going to fight that? And if some people fight it, not everybody's going to. That's disgusting right there, you know, taking advantage of the pandemic. Right, right. And uh, even if they can, the PBMs conduct audit, right, and the audit amount is, you know, uh, pretty small, maybe, um, thousand or two thousand and then the pharmacy doesn't have the time and resource to fight that and though then that audit amount or discrepant amount is going to be um, recouped by the PBM however that doesn't mean that that audit discrepancy is gone it's still there it's kept within the pharmacist's file just because you pay back the amount of money requested by PBM does not mean that you're on the clear so what the PBM is going to do is they're going to come back a year or two years later, do another another audit, combine the old audit finding, which you already paid for, plus the new audit findings, 
and try to come up with a reason to terminate a pharmacy from their network. Yeah, you're saying that there's probably a certain level where a pharmacist is not going to fight too much. In other words, maybe it's under $1,000, they're not going to do much, but over 10, they're going to then put up a bigger fight. You're saying that the smaller ones, a lot of the pharmacies say, screw it. They don't want to spend the time. So they get the money that way. But then as you say, you've got these chits against you and you're on your way to maybe being tossed out. Yeah. And we have seen a lot of uh, termination activities in the past month or so, uh, even stemming from a very, very small discrepancies in dollar amount wise. Here's my take on it. The PBMs, they've got a certain formula where they want to have a certain amount of pharmacies in the rural areas and they only want the chains in certain areas and they want the mail order this and that. They've got their targets and they would rather find reason to boot people out in these certain areas if they have to get to their target. I mean, there's no reason not to. That's their excuse. Yep. You know, actually, on that, I've seen a termination recently or an attempt at termination over signature logs. A pharmacy gets audited for that signature log issue, gets an audit discrepancy, says, all right, it's a small amount, we'll leave it alone. PBM comes and tries to terminate the pharmacy. In the meantime, they get a second audit, same exact documentation submitted during you know the same time as the first audit, absolutely no discrepancies found with this, those signatures. It looks exactly the same. There's absolutely no issues with that auditor. It's a different auditor than the first audit. And it it's just so puzzling. Obviously, you can see that they're not even applying it consistently. And, you know, the pharmacy was facing termination over a discrepancy that wasn't a discrepancy because of the waiver that the PBM had placed and also in light of the second audit that had been conducted of the pharmacy. It's not the same exact claim, though, right? Not the same exact claim. But the same period, same reason. Same type of audit, same type of documentation, same waiver in place, different outcome. I wonder who cooks up these things. They're definitely cooked up. It's not like you've got some high school kid that got hired in and is kind of just making an error or reading something wrong or something like that. These are definitely cooked up. I wish I was able to sit inside a PBM audit team and see what goes on there. If somebody were listening in to this, not in the pharmacy world, the biggest issue I see is how these auditors take back the full amount of a claim for an error. Let's say you have a $1,000 drug and there's some clerical error or something. It's never a $50 fine on a $1,000 drug. It's a $1,000 fine plus 20% kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we deal with it, deal with it on a, a daily basis. And especially for like a clerical errors that resulted in $1,000 um, recruitment on a, on a claim. You know, certain states have the um, have enacted PBM reform laws uh, that take away theoretically uh, prohibit PBMs from assessing uh, recruitment on uh, clerical errors. But pharmacies, you know, wouldn't really know that. So, you know, they contact us, and as the uh, legal representative of the pharmacies, we argue our argument, legal argument, is crafted around 
the um, uh, applicable federal and state laws. I set you up for a trick question earlier about being jaded, because here's the thing with you guys. You might be jaded in the sense that a pediatric cancer doctor is maybe jaded with his patients, unfortunately, dying. But that's his job. That's what he gets paid for. So you guys are just in this position where, and rightfully so, you're in this position to help all the pharmacists getting screwed over by this. And, you know, that's job security. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But it's just a shame. I think of these poor, I'm, I guess I'm part of them. We don't do brand names anymore. So I've got a certain protection against the future of an audit, just that the numbers aren't there. But I think of these pharmacists that are putting out thousands and thousands of dollars, often taking a loss on it, and then having themselves opened up for that audit down the road. It's just a sad thing. Yeah, but um, fortunately, in the past in the past years, there have been a lot of um, state actions against um, PBMs, uh, whether it be enacting uh, PBM reform laws in different states or, you know, creating a, a grassroots movement, the legislators uh, introducing new bills to regulate PBM. Because at the end of the day, until several years, years ago, PBMs have not been regulated at all, even in the um, public space, even in the uh, government funded uh, space, they have not been regulated at all. But fortunately, nowadays, you know, the landscape is changing uh, significantly. I'm glad you brought up the states because as I sit here bemoaning the fact of the PBM abuse, that does seem to me to be the spot where some work is being done at the state level. How much pushback are the states getting for PBM legislation like this, like audit stuff. This seems to be more like fine line stuff. And I know there was a whole Rutledge SCOTUS thing that maybe didn't seem to be as simple as this. You know, would a would changing a line in a PBM audit that the state allowed, is that like a Supreme Court thing or is that like an easy gateway for the state to do? I want to say it's not easy because, you know, PBMs have deep pocket. They have a very, um, very expensive uh, lobbying power. So it's not easy for states to enact, you know, PBM reform bills uh, that is geared towards giving uh, some sort of uh, protection for independent pharmacies. So not all 50 states have fair audit laws, you know, that can provide uh, uh, some sort of a layer of protection for the pharmacies. Do you ever have clients that cry in front of you? Um, I had a couple and I have a couple who, you know, I mean, I don't want to grim the whole picture, <laughs> Give a grim picture but uh, some of our clients had to close their shop and then sell their pharmacies, uh, cents on the dollar to the uh, big chains, which are also uh, oh. affiliated or owned by PBMs. My employees never heard this before. You ever heard the term going postal? Going postal. You guys are too young. Back in the 80s, there was like three post office shootings with disgruntled employees. And for some reason, it was 
don't know if it was just coincidence or there's something more tangible with the post office service, but they called it going postal when these employees would go in and like, unfortunately they went in and like shot up the place, you know, but it seems that the way that pharmacists, hopefully it doesn't get to that. I'm not implying that, but it seems to me that pharmacists either get sad with this or get really, really pissed about it. I guess both. Probably both, but it's great if they could channel that towards some of the grassroots efforts that really put forth some of these laws. That's a cool thing about state government is that it's not city government. There's more power than that, but it's not federal where you have not much of a chance of knowing your representative and so on. But the state level is really cool because that's where a lot of these laws can reign in the PBMs. And a lot of these legislators they live in your backyard. They go to the same restaurants you go to and things like that. And I had heard from one of my guests, he said that if a state legislator gets like six phone calls about something, you know, just six phone calls about something, that's a big deal for them as a state legislator. I believe it. We've, we've had a lot of support for a lot of our pharmacies uh, when facing PBMs. And it goes a long way, I think, for a lot of our clients. Do you guys know any other industry? And yes, we're focusing on the bad here, but eh. (laughs) there's a lot of bad stuff to focus on. Do you know any other industries that are like this? I know there's a lot of other things in industries like monopolies. And I had Luke Slindy and Benjamin Jolly on, and they were talking about how it's important that pharmacists don't think we're too special because we need to compare ourselves to other industries where there's monopolies to get Washington to listen to a bigger group. But as far as PBM audits, can you think of any other industry that has that take back and then also the abuse that can go on? Or are we special as pharmacists? Um, I can't think of any industry in that sense, but at the same time, PBMs, are doing this because they are allowed to do it. And, you know, I'm not pointing fingers to the pharmacies or anybody else. PBMs have, you know, started, they they are formed with a good intention and they became very large over a very short period. And at the same time, there's been a lot of uh, vertical integration from the plan level, plan sponsor level, PBM down to the uh, pharmacies. So, Right now, they, they have tremendous power and they are using their power. And, and you know, it's, it's tough for independent pharmacies to act alone, but at least they shouldn't, they shouldn't let this happen, meaning they can't just say, oh, I got, you know, screwed on a small audit. I'm not going to contest it. That's going to come back and, you know, um, become a, 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 you know, that's going to be, there's going to be a domino effect of a small audit. Sometimes I'll be sitting with someone on my staff and we follow all the rules of the PBMs, but if there's a loophole or something that you don't have to do, we're not going to do it. You know, we have enough rules and things that we're not going to do it. And so sometimes we think that we're smart because it's like, we 
got around something that you think maybe the PBMs wanted, but it's not written anywhere, you know, and it's so you, we think we're all smart and stuff. And the issue is sometimes you think the PBMs, they're not conniving, but if my own little pharmacy, we can come up with something. Think of the minds that these places with this ton of money, these PBMs, just think of the connivers that they can hire just to pull out the last penny from these people. Yep. And I I mean, I think that's what they've done, right? I think any single time they see a trend, they figure out ways to put more conditions and requirements on pharmacies to see if, you know, there's another hurdle they can try passing or try to get over. I see. I think that we see that all the time. Any single time I think a pharmacy figures out a loophole, and the PBM becomes aware of that loophole, they take every effort to close it. I've been talking about all the negative stuff of these audits, and it just brings out the worst in me. And it's even more frustrating when the PBMs have abused us during a pandemic. You know, that's just disgusting to me. But speaking of the pandemic, where I think a lot of pharmacists have really discovered some of their own worth more as a community caregiver. Does any good come out of it in our then response to the PBM? Does any power come out of that? Yeah, sure. I mean, they, they certainly, the independent pharmacies, that pharmacists certainly, um, you know, established a, a place in the healthcare industry. And, you know, we make a point to PBMs that, hey, these pharmacies, they are the ultimate caregiver to the community patients, you know, they provide, at least in my opinion, better service, you know, or at least comparable services to the big chain pharmacies. So they're, they, they should be included and remain, remain in the PBM's pharmacy network. And quite frankly, a healthcare provider losing that uh, pharmacy uh, is, is a disservice to the uh, patient. It really helps to be defined as a healthcare provider. We become providers. What's an example of maybe having any kind of power versus what we have now in an audit? They may be they may be entitled to broader rights to remain in the network. They may be entitled to other fair audit practices that right now is only applicable. You know, can be applicable to um, uh, for a finite number of uh, healthcare providers. Uh, clean claims. Right. So you'll have a lot of states who have enacted laws that insurers are required to pay on clean claims. And during audits, you'll have PBMs who will say, well, these specific claims that we've audited are unclean. And so we're going to subject you to recovery. By being a defined healthcare provider or health provider, pharmacies could seek those clean claim laws or unjust recovery laws, you know, in a, in a specific state to be able to go back to the PBM and ask for a release of the monies related to an audit as well. So it it really helps to be defined as a healthcare provider. They could do that because those laws are already in place. So for example, already a physician or whatever, they already have clean claim laws. So pharmacy could depend on some of those. Yeah, exactly. So you'll have a lot of states who have such laws. You'll have some states who will expand those over to healthcare providers along with sort of any providers that receives claims from a, a third-party agency like a PBM. Uh, you'll also have situations where, say, for example, any willing provider laws only extend over to healthcare providers and not over to pharmacies. 
So by being a defined, by having pharmacies be defined as a healthcare provider, they're also offered the protections uh, of a of being an any willing provider state. Let's say you have a client that reached out originally and you helped set up their pharmacy and so on. Would they reach out to you with every audit or do some, they just write a letter on their own on average? I think it depends on the pharmacy, depends on the discrepancies uh, that they're facing. I, I don't know. It's hard to put a, a specific dollar value or an average dollar amount because audits just range. And the actions that we see PBMs take uh, on audits and those associated dollar amounts just range too. We'll see it. We'll see a PBM try to terminate a pharmacy over a, a three thousand dollar audit, and we've seen them terminate over a three million dollar audit. It, it depends on, on the discrepancies themselves. It wouldn't be overkill, maybe not when an audit's happening, but it wouldn't be overkill when the discrepancies come in to put something on your letterhead and say, we don't agree with these seven findings that totaled you know, $832 because that might be worth that letter from your office just to let them know that they're not going to lie down for the PBM should another audit come or should they start thinking that that's one of the pharmacies that they just don't want in their network anymore? Yep, exactly. You'd have to look at the underlying issues, right? The $830 audit could be over something like inventory shortfalls. And if a PBM thinks that a pharmacy doesn't have sufficient inventory, could mean that they're not dispensing medications to patients. It just kind of you know goes into a spiral for the PBM. Mm -hmm. And the PBM, of course, reserves it in their contract to say, hey, we can terminate you basically for any reason. So $830 might be enough for them. A pharmacist is pulling up to their pharmacy after listening to this. And let's say they have three minutes while this episode is still on their mind. What would you tell a pharmacist who's got a million things going on and and audits maybe the last thing on their mind? What could they do in three minutes to make a forward movement to protect themselves or to improve their lot. Our PBM team published PBM audit checklist. So I would recommend, you know, a pharmacy to uh, download it and then start going through the list and then to uh, better prepare for the audit. I'll put a link to that in the notes to that checklist. That would be a good first thing to be looking at. Yeah, that's helpful. And I think that on top of everything pharmacies already have to do, it's important for them to keep up to date with any sort of addendums or new terms that PBMs send out to them. Sometimes people, PBMs will fax it over to them and a pharmacy might just say, okay, I'll look at it later. It might not get around to it, but those updates can be very important. Well, Day and Harini, thanks for letting us check in with you. You're always the bearer of glad tidings, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the nature of the business. I had a friend in high school that went to Notre Dame for law and he was in it for like two years and it was too much conflict. He ended up getting a elementary education degree so he could be a teacher and deal with all the crazy parents who think their kid's going to be the next president of the U.S. So... <laughs> I'm thinking that after these years with all this uh, pandemic that he might go back to be a, a lawyer just so he can screw his head on straight. <laughs> That's funny. 
I mean, I think sometimes we're like teachers, right? I mean, yeah, I feel like we we might take on that role sometimes too. So, yeah. Well, I think a big part of this is pharmacists feel so pushed down that your legal service is there, but also when they can depend on someone that's just going to say, look, let me walk you through this is, you know, it's going to be okay. Or it's, you know, ultimately it's going to be okay, whatever okay means, but we'll hold your hand and at least walk you through it. At least you have a friend going through these Valley of tears. Yeah, exactly. We can be lawyers and therapists. All right, you guys, nice to see you again day and Harini, nice talking to you and we'll do this again. Thanks for having us, Mike. Yeah. Thanks for having us. All right. Thanks, guys. Talk to you again. You've been listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Please subscribe for all future episodes.